In this episode of Rotten or Righteous Smash in Sackcloth, Zach has so many questions. I have the baby. Yeah, I have so many questions about, about yeah. how the baby got here. Welcome back to Rotten Righteous Presents Mash and Sackcloth, the only podcast that might be a day late, but we're not a dollar short because we never had a dollar to begin with. That's a good point. <laughs> with me today, as always, he had no one to care for him until he was over 28. He's Scott Judge. And that won't be funny to you part of my life. until we actually get into the episodes, because I don't imagine anybody actually watches the mash episodes we review and then are just like holding their breath going, oh, I can't wait to see what they say about this one. <laughs> and me, well, by now you should know that I'm sorry we're doing this, and I am Zach Geiler. Scott, today my son decided that he didn't want to wear shoes. He said that he wanted to be... A bear with bare feet. And then he stepped in some mud, which the kid does not like to get dirty. And he was very upset. And I asked him, Joseph, what's wrong with you? And he said, I stepped in rain dirt. I like it. Rain dirt. That makes a lot of sense to me. Rain dirt. I mean, yeah, I mean, I can't argue with it. It's just a weird way to say mud. But, uh, what was it, on Monday, we went and saw uh, a movie together, me and Joseph. And our way home, we were drop- was dropping him off at his, his uh, grandparents. And we were talking to my dad on the car speakerphone. And uh, dad asked Joseph where he was going. And then he said, oh, I'm going to be dropped off at mommy's parents. I love the perspective of the young. It's it's something Mommy's else. Mommy's parents. Scott, the last time I we were it. we were together, uh, we we looked at a pretty morbid story of a woman who used her dead husband's hair that she got off of his decapitated head to stitch a love note into her sheet. And uh, yeah, uh, that was two two episodes ago. Last week we talked about Stanley. Um, but. I, I had so much fun talking about that morbid story with you that I went out and Googled morbid stories, and I found, Scott, not one, not two, but 13 weirdly morbid vintage news stories from Time Magazine, each are only a sentence long. Boy, how lucky are we? So we're going to review all 13 now, right? I'm just going to read through these, um, dear listeners, if uh, you... you pick up on something and if you're keeping count and you go hey that wasn't 13 that's because one of them sucked and I deleted it so that way I spared your uh, auditory uh, listening ears but I left that in Scott I left what I just said in so uh, apparently I don't care that much that everything they hear is is professional and, and wonderful 
Anyways, this is from the May 25th, 1925 issue of Time. Snail. In London, one Professor Thomas Waddington encountered a snail crawling along a railroad track, crawled after the small creature to observe its habits, was overtaken after a brief study by a London train. Both snail and professor were killed. <laughs> That's horrible. Why am I laughing? I did not expect that to be the uh, the outcome. <sighs> To a small creature to observe its habits was overtaken after a brief study by a London train. Yep. And, you know, uh, I can understand the snail getting hit, but, you know, Professor, a couple steps to your left, a couple steps to your right, maybe. I mean, it was 1925, Scott. You didn't have a lot of entertainment. Uh, and a snail could, could just really engross an audience back then. Mm. Uh, number two, Curiosity. In Coney Island, New York, one hairy man. <laughs> His name is actually Harry M A N N. Harry Man is his name. One hairy man went for a ride on a giant coaster. On the rear seat sat a male and female lovingly. Curious about their activities, man drew a mirror from his pocket, stood up in his seat, tottered, fell under the rear wheels, and was ground to death. <laughs> Found the snail much more funny, Scott, than than poor hairy man. What a pervert. <laughs> well, is he the pervert? Or are the two, two people... Tom. I'm not a fan of PDA. I think that these two... Uh, uh, Canoodling co-eds in that in that back train cart uh, should be charged for manslaughter. Crane <laughs> is the title of number three. In Winstead, Connecticut, famed as a home of strange events, one Charles Alley beheld a large crane caught by the foot in a wire fence. Went to save the pitiable fowl. The crane drove his beak into Alling's left eye, permanently blinding him. Wow. That one again was from May 25th, 1925. Apparently not a good day uh, in history. Test from the December 9th issue, 1929 of Time Magazine. In Dubuque, Iowa, one Joseph Bourne protested to a policeman that he had not been speeding, according to his speedometer, was ordered to test it by driving in front of the officer, did so, ran down and killed Mrs. Minnie Egg. Uh, mini egg. That's that's funny. And now she's dead. She <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> she got scrambled, Zach. Oh gosh, I'm just glad that you didn't go with the Humpty Dumpty was, joke. Was ordered to test it by driving in front of the officer. <laughs> Number six, tack. In Mount Morris, New York, a joker put a tack on the chair of Angelina Cyrenet, who sat on the tack, squeaked, or squeaked, contracted blood poisoning, died. What? <laughs> Man, they did not want to so waste the moral age. Of the story is the moral of the story is to, like, uh, sanitize your tax before you do this? I don't know. Maybe the moral of the story is don't sit it on the chair of someone so they sit on a tack. 
that could be one moral. I mean, unless the devil doesn't like it. That's the only time I ever want to see anyone sitting on attack. Do, do you know what's funny? And it's not funny, but she sat on the attack, and do you know what she did? She, she squeaked. squeaked. And then she, squeaked. she contracted blood poisoning died. She squeaked. See, I thought Minnie egged would have squeaked when she got hit by that truck in the previous oh. story because of Minnie being a mouse. Um, June 9th, 1930, Singer. In Griffin, Georgia, Mrs. Kite Gaston swallowed her false teeth when choir singing, died of strangulation. Wow. Kate uh, Gaston. Yes. Accident. November 3rd, 1930. In Manhattan, Mrs. May Bur- or Byrne, 42, died of blood poisoning contracted after an accident. The accident, while both slept, her finger strayed into her husband's mouth. He bit it. You know, I hear that humans have the filthiest mouth of all mammals. Did you hear that? <laughs> I just did. I, I... I know. I mean, you could let a dog bite me or let a man bite me. I'd say, let that dog bite me. 1930, December 1st, Flowers. In Augsburg, Germany, Annie Rosmier, 16, and Fanny Schlegel, 18, were placing flowers on the grave of Anne's mother. The 300-pound monument fell, killed Annie, wounded Fanny. <laughs> I mean, that's... that's <laughs> How does this monument just fall? And how are you? Maybe it was. Maybe it was tall. Maybe it was like maybe an obelisk. Maybe, maybe it was like an obelisk or something. Something short. Yeah. No. Yeah. I'm think. I'm yeah, picturing like one of them. Them obelisks ones or one of them weeping angels ones. Mm-hmm. Three hundred pound mine. You know what? And this is this this is where papers have messed up today. Just you know what? This stuff here is just showing us the baby. We're not getting any of the labor pains. Just the facts. Annie, Fanny, putting flowers on the grave, monument fell, dead. That is the weirdest analogy I've ever heard anyone make, ever. We're just getting the baby, not having any of the labor pains. Yeah, well, we're we're just hearing about the baby, not the labor pains. August 10th, 1931. Bed. In Denver, Mr. and Mrs. Warren E. McLean lay on their folding bed listening to a radio program. The bed snapped shut. Killed Warren E. McLean. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) Well, I'm imagining that this is like... Is it it like a Murphy bed situation where it like folds down from the wall? And then like the cops come in and poor Mrs. McLean is like sitting there going, Ah, we're back to the wall! And, or are we talking like a cot that folded inward instead of outward? Like folded, yeah. I don't know. Either way. Why wasn't see, she killed? In this one, I want a little bit of the birthing pains. I have the baby. Yeah. I have so many questions about, about yeah. how the baby got here. Uh, number 12, December 7th. smells. I think she did it. Probably. She killed you, it. You know, you know how many people in the 30s died of folding beds because of angry wives? <laughs> I'll play your silly game. How many? <laughs> At least one. Uh, December 7th, 1931. One. Determined. In Chicago, Roy McGiven fell on the street and hurt himself. 
Recovering, he was hit by an automobile. Injured again, on his feet once more, Roy McGiven slipped beneath the wheels of a train, was killed. <laughs> was he drunk? This man was living a Buster Keaton sketch. He was. He was He was living a Charlie Chaplin silent movie. Just nothing but slapstick all the way to the grave. He fell, hurt himself. Got hit by a car, hurt himself again. Hit by a car. Slipped beneath the wheels of a train. Hit by a train. That's a bad day. And finally, <sighs> number 13 from November 5th, 1934. Rescue. In Morris, Illinois, John Prombo saw a cow chewing her cud in the path of a speeding train. Racing down the railroad tracks, he coaxed, tugged, pushed, could not budge the placid animal. In the instant before the train was upon them, the cow loped safely off the tracks. The engine killed John Prombo. I fool you! That sounds just like a cow, too. That sounds just like a cow. Uh, A talking cow? But does John Prombo understand that, that trains have things on the front of them called cow catchers for cow catchers. just this purpose? I guess not. But that was your oh, 13 my. weirdly morbid vintage news stories of the week. Which one, which one was your favorite? I mean, they were all pretty good. I mean, they were all just pretty good. It might be the tack. I think the tack might be my favorite because it started out as a harmless prank. And mm-hmm. it turned into a very harmful prank. But it might be just one of the most effective pranks of all time. Yeah. I mean, you think you're just going to get somebody with a little stick, but you end up killing them with blood poisoning. It also makes me wonder how Don't dirty forget. were thumbtacks in 1929. This is why I, I argue against people who are anti-vaccination. And I'm not talking about, like, COVID or whatever, but just, you know, the big ones. Because I've been stuck with a tack before. I've stepped on a tack. That hurt real bad. Never once have I got blood poisoning from anything. Thank you, modern medicine. Okay. So, family of Mrs. Miniegg, we offer our condolences. There, Scott, this happened nearly 100 years ago. You never know, Zach. They could be listening. No. No, they could go. They're talking about my grandma. You talk about my grandpa's bad day when he tripped and got hit by a car and then fell underneath a train. Hey, you know when it's your time to go when all that happens? That's true. I mean, you can't really argue, argue, oh, he died too young. I mean, when the world is trying to kill you that actively, mm-hmm. you, you just have to look at that and go, it, it was his time. I guarantee you it, it was, was his time. time. On Tuesday, April 19th, 2022, we will be doing a live recording of the Mash and Sackcloth podcast. Yes, that's right. We'll be reviewing episodes 15 and 16 of Season 1 of Mash live on Facebook, on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Righteous. So, if you want to watch that because you literally have exhausted all the entirety of Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon, then it's there for you, available. It'll be sort of our... Thumb twiddling, hair playing, knife, gouging, I don't know. I believe Scott has had a stroke, which means 
It's twiddling, time to start twiddling, talking about our episode. So yeah, six central, seven eastern on Facebook.com slash Rotten or Righteous. We will be doing a live uh, recording of our show there, so come and watch it. It'll be a fun time, or it won't. It'll be a time. It'll be a time. It'll be a time. But uh, until then, let's go ahead and, and review episodes 13 through uh, 14. This week's episode, first episode, episode number 13 of the first season of MASH, is titled Edwina. I don't think that's how you pronounce that name. I don't think you're supposed to put that much emphasis on the we part of the name. Edwina? Edwina. Edwina. Whatever. Edwina? I don't don't care. (laughs) I think it's Edwina. The episode opens with uh, Edwina Ferguson having a surprise birthday party. And oh boy, does she just just get all the presents that any young woman in the army in the 1950s could ever want. I'm talking a can of brass polish, the Ten Commandments in a frame. Our Hawkeye asked if it was signed, which was pretty funny. Uh, and a bulletproof girdle. Then Henry tries to give a speech, but is interrupted when everybody sings for "She's a Jolly Good Fellow," because the the copyright law hadn't or the copyright hadn't run out on "Happy Birthday" yet. Matter of fact, it didn't happen until about a year ago. But now you can sing "Happy Birthday" all you want, and this causes Edwina to grab a knife that she was about to use to cut the cake and run through a crowd of people with the knife up by her shoulder blade out. And I'm thinking, well. This is going to be a grisly episode. Just nothing but stitches for the next 20 minutes. But she didn't cut anybody. Instead, Nurse Cutler comes out to check on her. And, and she's like, I'm, I'm real upset, Cutler. Because I'm Edwina. First of all, my parents named me that. Edwina Ferguson. So I don't know why they hate me. And two, I am not jolly, nor am I a fellow. You see, Edwina has a problem. And I'm not just talking about her bangs, but those bangs are a problem. <laughs> We're a problem. But She's Edwina, looking apart. Edwina has a problem. She's never had anyone to care for her in the biblical sense. And she's 28, which basically means she's an old dried-up hag. Wow. She also tells Cutler that uh, her, her boo... Uh, a man named Seymour Chomp- Chompke. I hate the show. Uh, only wrote to her one time throughout the entire war. I mean, this dude is busy getting shot and almost dying on a daily basis. Doesn't he have any kind of consideration for her being at home? Anyway, she's like, Chompke. I bet you anything, Seymour Chompke got like taking POW. He's somewhere in a North Korean prison camp with bamboo shoots underneath his fingernails, and the only thing that's keeping him going is the fact that he gets to go home to Edwina and finally marry his his his, his bride-to-be. And here's Edwina pining for just any person that'll come and, and, and care for her. Anybody. So, she's about to be discharged from the army because she's a guest star and they don't want to pay her salary twice, so there's little hope for her to find love. 
Cutler expresses this concern to Hawkeye, who attempts to molest her. <laughs> and that is That's what it says, folks. That's, That's what he did. That's mash.fandoms.com's words, not mine. He attempts to molest yes. her, which he very much so does. And uh, Cutler basically puts a, the, the kibosh on that. Because the women are all going to become a united front. And none of them are going to commit adultery or have premarital affairs again. Until Edwina gets cared for. Until Edwina. Edwina can't. Until Edwina. Uh, okay. Until Edwina so, can commit some fornication herself. Now, Hawkeye says nobody wants to be with Edwina. Have you seen her bangs? Also, she is a landmine in Bloomers. She's basically a jinx. She's clumsy, she's unpopular, and nobody wants to date somebody with those bangs. They can say it's the clumsiness or the unpopularness, but she's a pretty girl. If she just didn't have those bangs, they would have had no problem with it. But they look at the bangs and they're just like, ugh, what is going on with that? It is not working for you, honey. Bangs are hard to pull off and you're not doing it. During the next day, Radar gets poked in the eye for peeping through the hole in the women's showers. Hawkeye suggests some warm compresses and that he should start looking in the men's shower for a few days. But Radar mentions that as he was being a pervert, he overheard the nurse's plans. That they were not going to be canoodling with no man until Edwina gets her knight in shining armor. And this shuts the 4077th down. One day, Scott, one day of this shuts the camp down. No emergency surgery. All all medical helicopters are being diverted to the eight oh double nickel. It's this place is went to pieces. I mean, it was it was bad. So Hawkeye calls in a meeting in the swamp of all the men. And Frank's there and he's like, I'm not gonna participate in this immorality of, of trying to woo this Edwina girl. Have you seen her bangs? And then Hawkeye's like, you're dating Hot Lips. Like, you have any room to talk? Uh, Frank, get on board or I'm going to strip you naked, paint you purple, and drop you behind enemy lines by Chopper. Which, you know, is just a normal thing to say. No, it's normal. Yeah. And so all the guys get together, Frank included, and they all draw straws to see who was going to have to woo Edwina. And wouldn't you know it, Father Mulcahy draws the short straw. And he does take Edwina out to a nice dinner, but he says, I'm Catholic and uh, a father of the Catholic faith. This will never work. And Edwina understands, and she goes back, and everything returns to normal. End of episode. Except Hawkeye's the star, so what really happens (laughs) is that Hawkeye draws the short straw. Hawkeye then sticks to Edwina the rest of the day, just laying it on thick. All that rapey charm that is Hawkeye Pierce in this first season. And Edwina is just unresponsive to Hawkeye's advances. They never had good chemistry before. But they do agree to go on a date. So they both get dressed up like Japanese geishas for some reason. And, uh... (laughs) The only part of the show that didn't make sense to me. Right. Why is that the date apparel? I have no idea. And Edwina is led to the swamp. And they take off their Japanese shoes... 
And it's just, it's just a, a horror show. It begins with Edwina spilling her martini in, in Hawkeye's face. She knocks down a, a table, which had a bunch of glassware on it, and Hawkeye steps on it, just lacerating his toes. She pokes Hawkeye in the eye so hard that he sat and cried for a little while. He knocks him to the ground and tears his rotator cuff. And in the end, she knocks down the, the chimney of their their furnace in the middle of the thing, just covering him with soot from head to toe. And Hawkeye thinks it is hilarious. The funniest thing that's ever happened to him. And they do manage to share a kiss because it's in Alan Alda's contract that he has to kiss at least one unwilling participant in every episode of MASH, or he's walking. <laughs> unwilling participant. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> They share a kiss, it's all good, and Edwina finally leaves the 407th-7th. And Hawkeye continues. Again, this is a quote from mash.phantom.com, and maybe yeah, my favorite... Semi? My favorite quote I've ever read in my life. Hawkeye continues his semi-predation of the other nurses in the camp. Alright, there's nothing interesting to talk about. That was it, that was the end of this episode. Yeah, this wasn't this wasn't one of my favorite ones. I mean, no. I, I mean, one of my favorite the, ones. It's... the the thing that stood out the most in this episode uh, to me was her bangs. Mm-hmm. Which I'm looking at a picture of them right now, and I feel like I need to move away from my screen because they might just poke me in the eye. <laughs> they are the biggest bangs I've ever seen in the entire world. I know that that it was the style back in the day to curl your hair and everything, but it looks like she used a bowling pin to create the bang. Mm-hmm. It is just the biggest bang I, I have ever done, did, seen in all my live long day. That's where that one guy on uh, American Idol got the inspiration for that song, She Bangs. Mm. Well, Horrible joke. Horrible. There you have it, folks. We needed a transition, and Scott gave it to us. <laughs> as awkward as it may be. Hey guys, this is this this welcome back. Did you miss us during the transition? Here we go. We're gonna talk about episode. <laughs> we're gonna talk about episode fourteen of the first first season of Mash. And uh, man, we just got we just got a whole bunch of love going on in this these two episodes. A whole bunch of semi predation and a whole bunch of love in this episode. Radar doesn't have an appetite. Now, he apparently had an appetite when he was getting his food because his tray contains no less than 50 chicken legs. <laughs> but at some point between the walk from the chow line to the table, he lost that appetite. And Hawkeye and Trapper are just real worried about him. And so they go to Henry. And they're like, Henry, Radar didn't eat nothing. And Henry's freaked out because Radar's been in a bad mood. He's been sitting on top of the filing cabinets in the fetal position. Just not doing any work. And that's when poor Margaret... Little feller. Poor little feller. Poor little pervert. That's when... Uh, I don't feel bad for Radar. You remember, he just got poked in the eye for peeping on... In the eye. ...on the girl's shower. And when they said, why were you doing that? He said, everyone has to have a hobby. I don't feel bad for him. <laughs> So they give Radar a full and 
thorough medical physical as opposed to the non-medical physical, which you should tell your parents about. <laughs> um, because <laughs> that one requires other professionals to get involved. That one requires. Don't keep that a secret. If you have a non-medical physical and you're not a consenting adult party, uh, go and talk to somebody about that. Um, the but police, they, protective services, a lawyer. But they, uh, re- they're, they're like radar's completely healthy, except for the fact that he has abnormally high blood pressure but other than that he's completely healthy uh, so the problem has to be with his mind frank's like yeah oh, he's faking it he's a commie we should work the communism out of him but when hawkeye and trapper investigate well radar hands them over a record which turns out to be a dear john letter where his fiance linda sue breaks up with him while making out with her new fling, Elroy Fimple, who says, Sorry about this, Radar. Uh, hope you don't die while killing them commies. Hawkeye and Trapper attempt to find another partner for Radar, but none of the nurses refuse to participate. Even though in the last episode, when they put the embargo and all the canoodling, Radar was turned down by a woman as if they were already doing stuff beforehand. But... Uh, she was shutting them out. So they forgot about that detail in the previous episode when they wrote this episode. And sure enough, Radar, uh, they, they, they can't find no, no nice lady for Radar. Even though they just rallied together to find Edwina a bow. These episodes should not have been side by side. <laughs> I know. You got these rules in one episode and then they just go out the window in the next. Radar's just about to give up on ever finding love. When a new nurse is transferred to the 4077th, the homely Lieutenant Louise Anderson. Hey, what was the name of that big fat comedian? Wasn't it Louis, Louis Anderson? Yep. I, I, when I saw that, I was like, did Louis Anderson make a cameo in this? <laughs> but it's Louise. <laughs> it's, it's Louise. Because I'm, I'm a Louis Anderson fan. He's a funny dude. Mm-hmm. He He's did, funny. He, he did great on a, on a uh, Family Feud. And I've watched this cartoon Louie when I was a kid a couple times. Anywho, this is not Louie Anderson. It's Louisa Anderson. <laughs> Hawkeye does some, some, some research on this Louise Anderson. She was actually Louie Anderson's mom, if I remember correctly. And uh, mm-hmm. it turns out that... Yeah, that, yeah. It turns out that Louise is interested in classical literature and music. And not so interested in Hawkeye. So really, she's the perfect woman. Uh, and they drop this fact on Radar, and they train him up to to pretend to be an intellectual. Radar, he's saying things like, Nah, Bach, I'm partial to the fugue, in response to discussion about music. And Hawkeye and Trapper manage to get these two kind of talking. You know, she's kind of feeling out Mr. Radar O'Reilly. And she's even offering to lend him her record collection, which, as we all know, is a euphemism. <laughs> Unfortunately, Frank and Margaret see this relationship blossom, and they do not approve of this love affair between an enlisted and an officer, the nurse, of course, being the officer. And they bring up this problem to Henry, 
and Hotlips threatens to send a complaint to General Clayton if this romance isn't broken up. It is against Army regulations. It has to stop. And Hawkeye does say, I wrote this down because I didn't want to mess it up, because this was one of the funniest, most clever jokes I've ever heard in this show so far. He goes, mm-hmm. he's like, what are you doing? You're breaking up love. Who cares about regulations when love is on the line? Without love, we're only 89 cents of material. And then Henry goes, that means my marriage is only worth $1.78. That is a good joke. <laughs> That is a good joke. <laughs> Frank! No, that was Henry that said that. And oh, then, Henry! Without love, we're only worth 80, 89 cents. And then Henry goes, that means my marriage is only worth $1.78. Good joke. <laughs> solid, solid joke. <laughs> and I looked it up, and now I'm on a list somewhere, I'm sure. Uh, today... The raw materials that make up your body actually are worth $160. Really? Yeah. That's what datagenetics.com says. And the FBI says, we'll be seeing you real soon. Because I Googled that. We'll talk to you tomorrow. But Hawkeye's plan to keep these two lovebirds flapping... I didn't like that so much, but I'm going to stick with it. uh, Is to break up... Frank and Hot Lips romance. And he does this by perpetually drugging Frank. Like four different times in this episode. Which isn't the first time that he's drugged Frank, if we remember correctly. It won't be the last time. I just... Poor Frank is going to leave this war with brain damage without ever actually seeing any kind of action. Later on, Henry gives a lecture about the management of cardiogenic shock in the mess tent. It wasn't a lecture about cardiogenic shock in the mess tent. Like, there was a problem with that happening in the mess tent. Uh, It was a lecture about cardiogenic shock. It just so happened to be taking place in the mess tent. I wanted to clear that up. Radar tells Margaret that she's needed in post-op, and Hawkeye sneaks in and sits in her place and gets fondled by Frank Burns. That night, when Frank is preparing for a date with Hot Lips, again, Hawkeye replaces his aftershave with chloroform so that he passes out and cannot attend. That night, Radar again tells Margaret that she's needed in post-op, just as Frank is due to meet her in her tent for a little rendezvous. But Frank finds Hawkeye and Trapper in Margaret's bed instead of his lady love. And when Hot Lips finally asks, in anger, why she's being subjected to all of these shenanigans, Hawkeye says, because you're trying to trying to step on the, the dreams of my little Radar. You can't do that. Let Radar and you're Louis... little guy. Let Radar and Louis Anderson's mom have their relationship with each other. It's fine. It's all good. She does end up saying that she'll stop trying to, to break up Radar and, and Louis Anderson's mom if... Hawkeye and Trapper stop interfering with Frank and hers trysts, midnight trysts there, pookie time there. But things don't work out for Radar, because they rarely do. 
and he can't keep up with Luis's conversation topics, and he falls asleep listening to her over a meal in the mess tent. And Hawkeye and Trapper come over to wake him up, and he instinctively jumps up and goes, Ah, Bach! <laughs> from, from Rotten or Righteous, Mashing Sackcloth, I am, regrettably, Zach Geiler, and over I'm yonder... more regrettably, Scott Judge. Right, and we'd like to remind you that your day did not get better because of this podcast. We know it. I know it. You know it. A guy that never listened to our podcast sometime, somehow knows it. It's just some dude in Germany. He's like, oh, mon dieu. Mon <laughs> <laughs> dieu? He's a French guy in Germany. <laughs> he said, bon <laughs> He said, oh, mon dieu. The rotten on Heises Machine Sackcloth ruined my day. And because this episode will most likely come out just before or on April 15th, I want to remind you, what's done is done on this truly dreadfully day, April 15th. Abraham Lincoln succumbed to his wounds inflicted by his assassin in 1865. The Titanic sank in 1912. The Great Flood of Mississippi happened in 1927. The worst flood in U.S. history began. And the Boston Marathon bombers committed their dastardly act of terror in 2013. But just to keep the spirit of April 15th alive and relevant, the government would like to remind you that your taxes are due in the mail by midnight. <laughs> Good night, everybody. And she's 28, which basically means she's an old, dried-up hag. Wow. Is 28 that magic number? Well, in 1950, you only lived to be about 56, so... I mean, that's middle-aged. Yeah. 56. Do you realize if it was 1950 how close I would be to death? Do you realize how close you are to death now and it's 2022? I know. That's... <laughs> Friends... Let me rephrase something. Lord willing, we will do the live on Tuesday night. <laughs> it's either going to be that or a memor or memora- <laughs> a memoriam for Scott. Much of Santa Claus. Much of Santa Claus. Clap, clap. Sack phone. Much of Santa Claus.